So this morning, we come to thinking about how does God take care of His people? He's gathered us. Uh, we are His people, His family, the sheep of His pasture. How does the Lord take care of us? Practically, God is a, not just good news. God is not just theological. God is practical. Um, you may never get your head around all the theology, but you should get your heart into all the practice because God loves us dearly. Uh, Italy. I didn't say Italy. I'm sorry. I should have said it first. I know it comes first. Um, Italy, Italy, Italy. There, it got said three times. Um, so we're going to look at this morning at sheep and shepherds and how Jesus practically takes care of his church, one of the primary ways. Um, when you think about people's last words, how important is someone's last words? And often we, we, think, we hear about this, right? What did so-and-so, what did Einstein, what did some famous person say as their final words? And, and we put more kind of impetus on those words than maybe the things they said their whole life, right? Um, Paul was the most prolific gospel preaching, church planting, scripture writing apostle the New Testament ever had. Uh, he was God's man uh, for us. We still probably, I would guess, if you look at 12 years of sermons, I bet you more of them are from Paul's writings, probably just because that's how God chose to, to use the man in the, in the church. He spent three years preaching the gospel in a city called Ephesus, and then he left. And when he left, he uh, kept aware of how they were going spiritually. Um, he kept wanting to get reports about them. And then on his way uh, through, uh, on his way somewhere, he stopped at Miletus and he called the elders from Ephesus to him. And one of the elders there was Timothy. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. Timothy had called him, discipled him, raised him, and then set him in place, ordained him, what we're going to do today, as the, the lead pastor of that church in Ephesus. Uh, and there's good reason to believe that Jesus' own mother attended that church. She lived just outside of Ephesus. And that's probably, the, imagine Timothy being, going like, hey, Timothy, take care of this church and Jesus' mom. And I go, oh, my goodness. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> no, I, I think they were far more um, realistic. And I'm sure it was like, absolutely would love to do that. What a great privilege. Plus, John was there too, and it was probably his main job. Um, so, so Paul comes, and he, then he says to them, these are my last words to you. I will not see you again. We can't Zoom call, we can't fax, we can't email, we can't text. This is it. This is the last, probably the last time I'll get to speak to you. And so there's quite, uh, there's quite a weight, I think, on what he says. And if you go read Acts 20, there's quite a section. Paul doesn't keep it short. He never keeps it short. That's not the, you don't have lunch today because I'm going to give you a long sermon. It is in celebration for Steve. But if Paul was here, we'd have lunch and dinner. So Paul has a little bit of a section. But let me just pull some of his last words out as he spoke to these elders, and he says in, in Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Just pause. These are not shepherds. They're pastors of a church. He's not telling them to take care of four-legged animals when he says flock. He's calling them to take care of two-legged homo sapiens that are loved by God. Um, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his blood. And now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Saying a lot in there, but let me just pull out three points. It is your duty 
to take care of these special people of God. If you're not sure how special they are, He paid for them with His blood. That's special. But then He goes, and you will need to stand in the grace of God for this task. So there's kind of a heavy and a lightness. It's serious, but it's gracious. Um, and that these are kind of these words are surprising, and it's surprising because Paul was an intellectual of intellectuals. He was uh, being raised under Gamaliel before he met Jesus. He was going to become a famous rabbi. He was a wealthy man, a trained man, a well-known man. Traveled the world. I mean, he was just like. Uh, incredibly like modern, and, and then he goes to Ephesus, which is one of the most modern cities of the ancient world. Um, Joel, I wonder if you can just throw up, there's some pictures of Ephesus. Uh, currently, as it stands, there's a drawing of what it might have looked like, but it was one of the, kind of the most modern and primary cities of the world, you, different nations, lots of uh, education, different religions would come together, but this is no like podunk town in, in some ancient world. This is like one of uh, one of the best Greek cities of the time. And yet Paul talks about shepherds. Look at the city. This is not like a sheep town. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? So why did he choose to use that sort of language? Why does he choose to talk about us as sheep? Jib, your anointing for um, computers going on the blank is hitting my notes. It's okay. They healed. <laughs> so God enters human history as a shepherd. What I want to take you through just, I'm not going to say quickly, but, quick, but we're going to move fast, is Genesis, the New Testament, and what we're moving towards, Revelation. I just want to show you how God uses this metaphor all the way through so we can find our place in the story and see how God intends to care for us. Um, God enters the story uh, in terms of uh, not Genesis garden, but post that. In Genesis 12, he makes a covenant with Abraham to make a new people that will be his people for all the nations to see who God is. And that commitment is made to Abraham. And, and he gets known later on as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Jacob is the third generation uh, of this covenant. God comes to Jacob in Genesis 35 and he gives him a new name, and he names him Israel, and this will become the name that we know this nation as, even today. If I say Israel, you know who I'm talking about. Well, it's the product of this covenant God made to Abraham and the renaming of Jacob. But listen to what Jacob says in Genesis 48, verse 15, at the end of Jacob's life, and, and those notes are, are way too little for you to read. I, I, they're just there for you to know there's some factual <laughs> basis, mainly when we get to the ordination. Um, you can have these notes later if you want. At the end of Jacob's life, listen how he described God. He says, The God before, my, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. That's his description of God, is he is my shepherd who has cared for me and led me and looked after me. So Israel, the nation, grew. They wanted a king. They picked a man who was tall, dark, and handsome. They picked Saul, and he wasn't a good choice as a king, and God picked David as their king. And through, wonder, you know, you should go read the history. It is glorious and, and fantastic. They should make movies about Saul and David. 
But David becomes king, and then he starts to write the Psalms for us, incredible devotional scriptures. If you don't know where to start your devotions, start in the Psalms, just over and over and over. Listen to what David writes in Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What that means is, I shall not be in want. The king of a nation, the king of a nation in war with other nations, pens, because the Lord is my shepherd, everything is going to be okay. Israel rejoiced in this truth. The whole nation had a call to worship. Sometimes at King's Cross, we do a call to worship. Sometimes it's more formal than others. But one of them is one borrowed or made famous by Ray Ortland, where it's like Jesus, the friend of sinners. And he calls all of us to come to him. Israel had calls to worship as well. And this was one of theirs. It's incredible. Listen to the words. When come, let us worship and bow down. The whole nation's gathered, and this is what they say to, to each other. Let us worship and bow, bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. It was the most comforting thing the nation could say over themselves, He is our shepherd. We are His sheep. We are in His pasture. Let us worship. What causes you to worship? What causes you to dance? What causes you to raise your hands? What causes you to go... Oh, everything is going to be okay. For Israel, it was being able to go, we are the sheep of His pasture. He's our shepherd. Let's worship Him. Uh, the leaders recognized that God was their shepherd, and the nation recognized that God was their shepherd. And so a shepherd has been the standard for good leadership throughout ancient history. For example, um, King Hammurabi, I, I think that's how you say his name, from Babylon, he, this is, he called himself the shepherd of the people. He lived 2,000 years before Jesus. Harris Laird, an Old Testament scholar, writes in antiquity, the leaders proved themselves by how, by how they pastured the people. Are they a good or bad king? Well, how, do they, how well do they pasture the people? This was the language and the thought um, of antiquity. Homer, the famous Greek poet, styles uh, the Greek chiefs as shepherds of the people. So throughout history, before we were born, even though we are in the most important time in all of history because we are, are alive, before us came a long history, and in that long history, the leaders were often put up against the bar of a shepherd to determine whether they were good or bad. Um, but then God makes it very clear in, uh, through Isaiah, and I think Jeremiah, that all the shepherds pale in comparison to him. Then all the shepherds must fall down to him who is the ultimate shepherd. At the end of the day, that is what we are looking for, the ultimate shepherd. Um, and listen to, I won't get ahead of my, but listen to what he says to Jeremiah, through Jeremiah. I will appoint a leader of my choice. Who is like me? Who can challenge me? God says, what shepherd can stand against me? I will come like a lion and chase them away. What shepherd can stand against me? He says through Jeremiah. In other words, he goes, there are these other shepherds that put themselves up as kind of leaders of the people, but I will come uh, and, and in, you know, almighty, like uh, the, the, the kind of, in the picture he uses a lion because I guess compared to a sheep, that is about as dangerous as you can get. I will come and those shepherds will scatter. He doesn't say, and then I will devour the sheep and I will be the shepherd of the people. There is none like me. There, there is none that can stand. And so 
who do we look at as our shepherd? What do we look at as our shepherd? Is it our economy? Is it our leaders? Is it our government? Is it our bureaucracy? If the, is it Donald Trump? He, he has a big impact on our nation. Is it your stocks? Is it your job? Is it whether you're married or single? Is it whether you can have kids? Is it the decisions of your kids if you had kids? What shepherds your heart? What tells you that you're going to be okay? What are you going to check today or tomorrow to see how it is to be okay within yourself? And God says, none of those things that we might be drawn towards to be shepherded by, to be fed by, to be pastured by, to be led by, to be protected by, at the end of the day, none of them can stand up. He, only He alone can look after us. Only He alone can provide for us. Only He alone can care for us. Keller says it so well in a sense that it's not that the danger of, lo- of looking at other shepherds is not that we look for bad things, we rarely do. None of, very few probably in this room think, if I could live in poverty, I'd really be okay. Most of us but might be tempted to think, if I could win the lotto, I'd be more okay. You know, it's, a, it's not a bad thing to have more than enough. It's not an evil thing or a wicked thing. It's a good thing. But we look at good things and we make them the ultimate thing, Killer says, and that, that's when it becomes a bad thing because it can't do what God can do. So why do we need care? Why do you and I need care? We're so modern. We're so intelligent. We have the internet. Why do we need care? Isaiah says, we like sheep have gone astray. We have strayed from God's paths and turned to our own ways. We're lost without a shepherd. Um, In the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, a great, great book for anyone, not just for those of you who like deep theology, but if you just are interested in the Bible and God's Word, go buy yourself the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. It's, a, it's just a fantastic little book. And Leland Riker uh, writes this about sheep. Sheep are not only dependent creatures. Well, already that is like in an independent culture. We are not only dependent creatures, but singularly unintelligent. <laughs> Prone to wonder and unable to find their way to a shepherd, even when it is in their sight. <laughs> What he's saying in a very gracious, mature way is sheep are stupid. (laughs) Their instincts are bad, and they intuitively do the wrong thing. And so they need a shepherd. Not a beating, not a whipping, not a shaming, not a guilting, not a burdening, not a, I expect more from you, but someone who will love them, understand them, graciously come alongside them, Someone who might even lay their life down for them and say, come, let me help you. You cannot help yourself. Let me show you. Let me feed you. Let me protect you. Let me heal you. You cannot do it yourself. And do the sheep go, but we can? Of course we do. That's why we're sheep. And so he remains patient and gracious and kind. I guess the, 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 what I'm trying to drive home without making us feel totally useless and disempowered, because we do have the Holy Spirit if we're walking with Jesus, and He does enable us to walk in the paths of God by His grace. But what I'm trying to say is that if we remember that God's expectations without His grace in our lives are not very much, 
we might find ourselves even being kinder to ourselves and even being more faith-driven, pushed towards God to go, I want to walk with you. I want to glorify you. I cannot do it by myself. Will you help me? You are my shepherd. And it might help us to be kind to one another. I love Leland's thing of, even if the sheep can see exactly where to go, they still can't get there. Sometimes when you're preaching, you feel like that. You get down and you go, that was, I think, my best sermon. And I think, um, I think it was... I think it was Joel who told me that a sermon at best has a 20% fruit, fruitfulness. I think it was. Or maybe I said it to him. I don't remember. It was a conversation with Joel. I remember us talking. And I think that's a little bit um, much. <laughs> because I know as a sheep that I've listened to some of the clearest gospel presentations that have melted my heart and I've promised myself that I'm going to leave the room and never be the same. And by the time I got to my car, I was irritated with something. <laughs> I saw where the shepherd was, but I couldn't get there myself. We need his help constantly. So a good shepherd is precisely what God has promised us. God was upset with bad shepherds in Ezekiel 34 uh, for, for the, you know, I'll say from next week, for the three that remain. These are heavy things to consider. God was very upset in Ezekiel 34 with shepherds that were doing well themselves at the cost of the sheep. The sheep were struggling because the shepherds were feeding off the sheep. And God comes, you go read Ezekiel 34 to read his heart for, you, for us. Um, but then in Isaiah 40, God says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom. He gently leads those that are with young. That's the contrast. The, the shepherds of this world uh, might use us for their sake. Uh, they might try profit from us. They might try gain from us. I, I shouldn't, at the moment, I, I still am an elder in the church. I can try and uh, profit from you, make my life more comfortable off of your life. And you are uh, um, do, struggling, and I'm doing better and better. God goes, I, I hate that. And then he describes a kind of shepherd. I will carry them in my bosom. I will keep them in my shade. I will gently lead them and guide them. I will lay down my life for them. They will be better off because at my cost, I will look after them. Micah said, and he shall stand as the shepherd of his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is a shepherd that God is promising us, that will secure us, that will be great. And finally, Jesus announces that he is indeed this God-promised shepherd, this gentle, carrying you in my bosom shepherd, the one that secures us eternally. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. We read that text in John 10, and it's a prayer. And sometimes I think we might even be bored with it. I, I remember reading it in Arrowhead, in California, we had a youth leader's getaway, and I, I was doing a devotion from John 10. And to my, to my shame, I remember reading and going like, oh, what am I going to draw out of this? <laughs> I've got like 10 minutes before they all arrive. I still remember that. Because of what God did in that meeting was so profound, I remember thinking, oh, dear God, thank you that you are the good shepherd uh, and you go beyond us. But this is the kind of text you can live on. Can you imagine this expectation 
of a promise from God, and then Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. And the good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. That's an important um, message there, because it's not, I am the good shepherd, just trust me. It's that I am the good shepherd, and I will be so near to you that you will know me. You will know my care. Not just, not just claim it, name it and claim it. You will know it. When you need to be comforted, you will know my comfort. When you need to be secured, you will know my protection. When you are mourning, you will know me close to you. That is an intense little sound <laughs> from a very tiny little body. <laughs> Jesus remains the good shepherd eternally. So Jesus shows up with this clear vision of where history is going. And that's good shepherding, right? Jesus looks at the past and all the shepherds before, and he takes God's promises at his word, and then in a time and space says, I am that good shepherd, and I will lay down my life for my sheep. But then we go as far as Revelation and beyond us, a time that's still to come, the ends of the world and the start of, of new history. And John sees a vision laid out for him, and uh, he sees this multitude that couldn't be counting, counted, and he hears them praise God, and he sees some coming up in white robes, and then one of the elders there, which is interesting that even in heaven there's a, there's a few elders, one of the elders there says, oh, it's those who have have made it through the tribulation and washed themselves in the righteousness of Jesus and, and they've been given these white robes and just this beautiful chorus of worship and honor and dignity and praise and godliness. And um, then this is said, John was told, the lamb at the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe every tear from their eye. You know how, like, good stories end, they all lived happily ever after? And the chief shepherd that laid down his life for his sheep will lead them to the spring of everlasting life, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. You might get up today and go, I don't feel like Jesus is shepherding me very well. I can promise you he is. You might not see it yet but I can tell you how it's going to end. I can tell you where he's taking us. I can tell you where we're going. We might pick up some limps, some burrs, some uh, injuries along the way, but I can tell you in the end, streams of living water, eternal life, and no tears in our eyes. And so God leads us even in the end, he will be eternally our shepherd. So how does Jesus take care of his people right now, at this very moment, in this room, and in other churches gathered around our city and our nation? Uh, there's lots of ways, actually. Jesus taught his disciples to ask God for their needs. So, you know, what is that called? We, we call that praying. But He's, you know, if, if an earthly father can give his children good gifts, how much more the heavenly father, the perfect father? So just come to your father and talk about what you need. Trust him. 
Jesus taught his disciples to be fed from the word of God. Jesus uh, said that he would send his Holy Spirit so that his disciples would never be alone. These are all ways that he leads us. But Jesus also uses under-shepherds to provide care. He gives his people under-shepherds that are responsible to him for his work in our lives. Um, This is not the same as uh, outsourcing labor. (laughs) This is multiplying your heart in practical ways so that everyone is looked after well. Remember Jesus feeding the 5,000 on the mountain? He didn't just go, bada-bing, and all the food was in their laps. Remember how he organized them? Get into small groups, meet together. You could know the people in your group like little table communities, and then we'll send baskets around, and they took one by one, and after all the people had taken, there was still overflow of food and fish, uh, bread and fish. Miraculous, but still organized, still looked after, so that every single person participated in being fed by Jesus. Every single person went home with a personal story, tangible story of how Jesus took care of them. And in the same way, Jesus organizes his people in groups we call the church, where he looks after every single one of us, so that every single one of us can have a story of his care for us. When Peter uh, denied Jesus, uh, one of the most significant moments in the New Testament for me, I think, because I see Jesus standing there on trial and hearing, you know, the rooster crow the third time after Peter, or the rooster crow after Peter denies Jesus three times. And I imagine Jesus standing there absolutely alone, turning around, seeing Peter and Peter seeing him. What What would that have felt like to Jesus, to Peter? What would the mood have been in their hearts? What about the tension? It's like the whole world would have evaporated and there would have just been two, two people staring at each other. And I think Jesus would have been impatient to restore Peter. And I think Peter would have felt like the smallest thing in all the world. Who knows? But Jesus comes and finds Peter after he's raised from the dead. And in his first conversation with Peter, he restores him. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he's, he's giving Peter his dignity back. He's giving Peter the, his whole world back. He's taking shame and guilt and everything off. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. What does he say to him three times? Three times he says, feed my sheep. Peter, I know you love me. And I love you. And the most important thing I can ask you to do, out of our shared love and relationship, the most important thing I can ask you to do for me is look after my sheep, look after my lambs, feed them, care for them. Then Peter wrote, listen to Peter, I think he was moved by that moment, because in 1 Peter 5, Peter writes to other elders in churches, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, don't do it Ezekiel 34 style, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, when the boss comes, when the big man comes, when Jesus comes, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. 
And this brings us back to the last words of Paul. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his blood. So the church is under shepherds called pastors or elders or overseers. Uh, They are not in charge of anything really uh, other than in charge of everything that Jesus has put them in charge of. And they have to give an account to Jesus of their work. And their job is, uh, the elders of the church, to shepherd the flock of God. Their job is to care for the church with the love of Jesus. I haven't always done this well in my own home, which would be a disqualifying factor. One Timothy says, I remember being in an argument with my wife. And for the first time in our marriage, I was right. And I was right because the Bible told me so. There was a verse that actually, like, I can't even remember what the argument was, but there was actually a verse that like said, you are wrong and I am right. And I remember showing her that verse and going, can you just read what the Bible says? <laughs> and then you decide what, how we go forward. And she read it and she looked up to me and she said, this may be what God's word says, but I don't feel like you're loving me. And I was like, how can I be right and wrong? I'm <laughs> <laughs> And that's exactly it. The elders are not called to be right. The elders are called to be loving. They're allowed to learn along the way. They're disciples, just like you are. Their theology is allowed to grow and change as God reveals things. But they have to be loving. You need to feel the love of Jesus. Protect, they protect the church from wandering away from Jesus. The gospel will always be at the center of what we do. They rescue those that do wander, so they work their tails off to get people not to wander, and then their job is to go fetch those that do wander, because we're sheep. They stand up to those who seek to devour the sheep, and they feed the people with the Word of God. So, in one of the most important moments of Peter's life, he says, take good care of God's people. And in one of the most important moments of Paul's life, in his final words to some of the dearest saints that he's ever met, he says, take good care of God's people. I think the point is clear, that God wants you and I to be well taken care of. And God wants to equip and empower the elders to take great care of us. You are loved. And because you are loved, this church has elders, has always had elders. Like I said, five, five ordained, plus myself in 12 years, and uh, I think I'll have to recount, either Steve is the fifth or the sixth. But we've always had elders who shepherd this church. Within their limitations, but also within their faith that God will go beyond uh, our own limitations. So here's some closing thoughts, and then we're going to actually ordain Steve to eldership. The writer of Hebrews says that we should make the elders' job a joy because they have to give an account to God for what they do. just want you to think about that. Imagine the principal of your school has to, at the end of the week, go stand before God with the decisions he made for high schoolers. I think you'd have a little bit of compassion for them. When they, when they make decisions you may or may not like. Imagine your boss 
has to go in, into a boardroom meeting where it's just them and God and give an account for the decisions that they made in the company. You may still not agree with everything, but you'd have a lot more compassion. He, the writer of Hebrews says, the elders of the church will have to stand before God one day and He will accurately assess their work. Have a little compassion. Pray for them. And if you are able, make their job a joy. Make it lovely and wonderful. Anyway, those of you, that's all I want to put on you. Those of you who would go into a church and try cause a disruption, beware, this church has formidable elders. You will not get away with it. Those of you who are weak and weary, take comfort. This church has gentle elders. You are not going to be burdened. Those of you who are zealous for good works, dream big. This church has faith-filled, open-handed elders who are eager to come alongside you. Those of you who lack spiritual direction, breathe a sigh of relief. This church has prayerful elders, and we can find God's direction together. Those of you who are prone to wonder, take note. This church has determined elders. You may not like it, but they're going to come after you. Those of you who are new to the faith, you lucked out. This church has wise elders. God loves you. He's given this church elders that cling to the gospel, that preach the word faithfully, that model leadership consistently in their home, not always to perfection, as the example that I just gave. They're prayerful in their decisions. They're constantly peeling away pride to be humble. And they deeply desire to give account to God for the care that they've given you. So through the church, elders, may you know the touch of Jesus' love. May you know His nearness, His comfort, His direction. They are not replacement Jesuses. They come alongside you and, and Jesus. And they participate in providing care for you, like Jesus. May you see His kind eyes for His people as you look at the elders' eyes. May you see the kindness of Jesus looking back at you. Not judgment, not disappointment, not anger, not wrath. May you see gentle, loving kindness. May you feel the strength of Jesus and the determination of Jesus to stand against Satan on your behalf and with you. We're going to fight every spiritual battle together. You do not walk alone. So thank God that He is our shepherd, that it was Jesus that laid down His life for His sheep, that Jesus was raised from the dead, and that He now calls some to be under shepherds to care for His people. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And we're going to call Steve to this today.